Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. A few years ago, our church, along with our other campuses, South Hills is a family of churches, and there was about 20 of us that we took a trip to Puerto Rico for some work projects. And it was a fun trip. Obviously, Puerto Rico is beautiful. There's a lot of really hard work that we did there. And uh, on the way back, there was an issue with our flights. They, were, they didn't have enough seats for us, which is an issue, it turns out. Uh, we had paid for the right number of seats, and there just wasn't, uh, we were short one seat. And so the lady at the counter, she was trying to be super helpful. Uh, my wife is actually the one that led this trip, and, and she's incredibly gifted in that way. And, and so her and I are up at the counter, we're trying to figure this out, and the lady's like, well, there's no more seats on the plane, but there is one seat in first class. And so we'll give that to you guys, and one of your, one of your 20 people that have been serving the Lord for the last week... And working and putting in effort, they can sit in first class on the way home. And my wife turns to me, she's like, well, who are we going to put in first class? Genuinely, because obviously she's like the most selfless person in the world. And she was like, how are we going to pick one of these people to go in, in first class? And I'm like, well, you should do it. You've had to work extra all week long wrangling all of these people and listening to complaints and yada, yada, and the whole thing. She's like, no, I can't sit in first class. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, do it. Um, we don't even need to tell everybody else that you're going to be in first class. It's okay. And she's like, fine, but I'm not going to eat because, you know, first class gets to board first. And then everybody has to walk through like, like the tunnel of shame, that sense of like, oh, hi, yes, you're very wealthy. Yeah, I'm going back to the chickens area in the back. She's like, I'm not boarding with the rest of first class. I'll go on when everybody else from our team has already gotten on the plane. And so long story short, she ends up sitting there and I'm, you know, 40 rows back, just like trying to peek through the curtain and see, you know, what she's enjoying up there for free. And uh, we get off the plane and I'm talking to her. How was it? Neither of us had ever flown first class before at that point. So tell me everything about it. She's like, man, it's like so comfortable. There's so much room. The guy beside me, he was huge and he had so much room. And she's like, he must have been like a basketball player. He was like seven feet tall. And uh, I mean, he did say he played basketball, but he was retired. He doesn't play anymore. Um, I think he was, I think he might've been like a famous basketball player. I'm like, well, who was it? You talked to him for three hours. Uh, you don't know what his name is. And she's like, I think it was Alfonso. And I was like, in my head, like, I'm not like a huge sports guy, but I'm just like, I don't know any Alfonsos in the NBA world. And, uh, and so we're walking through the airport in Florida, and uh, we stop to wait for the rest of our crew. And I just kind of back up to a wall, and she's standing in front of me, and she just points seemingly at me. It's like, that's him. And I turn around, and there's like a glass display case full of trophies and jerseys and medals and life-size posters of... Alonzo Mourning. And again, I'm not like Captain Sports Guy, but I know who Alonzo Mourning is. And I was like, you mean Alonzo Mourning? She's like, oh my gosh, I called him Alfonso the entire time. She's like, he seemed like a little bit bothered that I didn't know who he was. I was like, yeah, I mean, obviously he didn't introduce himself as Alfonso. He introduced himself as Alonzo. There's so many layers of this. 
But there was like this moment where she was mortified because she didn't recognize who it was that she was talking to. And I think we've all had some times like that where we'd speak to someone, we talk to someone, we have no idea who it is. We have no realization of, you know, whether they, you know, we assume it's a server at a restaurant and ends up being the owner of the restaurant or, or whatever the scenario might be. But we talk to people based on who we think that they are, our understanding of who they are, our understanding of how they act or what they do. And we have all had those types of experiences. I don't know, maybe you have had a moment where you met someone famous, a celebrity of some sort. And for most people, they act very differently than they do in just the normal day-to-day conversations. They, they talk, they freeze up, they get a little bit nervous. There's just like a difference when you're speaking to someone like that. You know, when you talk to a mentor or someone that you look up to, you, you talk to them in a different way. Have you ever mistaken somebody for someone else? Um, I have a shirt, one of the best places in Costa Mesa is called Sidecar Donuts. And I have a shirt that they didn't even sell. It was just for their staff, but I was able to finagle one. And uh, I was wearing it like I often do. And every time I wear it, I have somebody come up and be like, oh my gosh, do you work at Sidecar? Like, no, I know I look like I should work at Sidecar, but uh, I just have the shirt. It's okay. Uh, I'm not offended by that. But we mistake people. We, we have different kind of conversations. You know, we talk to our spouse different than our friends. We talk to our parents different than we do with our kids. The idea that we have of who someone is, it shapes the way that we talk to people. Um, we oftentimes walk away from a conversation later realizing that we may have needed to handle it a little bit differently. Another story, yesterday, uh, my family was at this pizza place. It was after a football game for my nephews, and everybody's hanging out, and my wife was telling me, she's like, I was sitting at this table. This other guy in the group was there, but I didn't know who he was, and we've got a 7- and 11-year-old. And uh, they kept coming up and asking for quarters for the arcade games and for all the little toys and all this stuff. And, and I'm sure it's all kids, but it feels like my kids just are obsessed with this more than any other kid in the world. And uh, over and over and coming up and coming up and she keeps giving them quarters and then finally she's like, you know what? Why don't you just save your money? You keep putting your money in these machines. Somebody else is going to take all your money and they're going to have it and then you're not going to have it. You could do more with that money than this, you know, know, trying to get them to chill out on the quarter expenses. And then she turns around and the conversation continues and she finds out the guy that's at the table is the one that owns the arcade games at the pizza restaurant. So she's like, some idiot's going to get all your money, and he doesn't... She didn't say that. But there's these moments where it's like, if you had known, if she had known, if I had known, we, we always have these moments of clarity, like, oh, I would have handled that differently. I would have spoken differently. I would have interacted differently. Our perception of a person frames the way we interact with that person. And the same thing is true in the ways that we interact with God. Our perception of who God is, our idea of who God is, it informs us and it kind of shapes the way that we interact with God. We've been in this series called Wordplay. The first week we talked about the words we say to ourselves, kind of the inner dialogue that we have, the thoughts that we have in our minds and how powerful they are. We talked about the, the way we talk to other people in week two and, and you know, the conversations we have with friends or coworkers or whatever it might be. We talked in week three about the way we talk 
about other people when they're not there. It was a, it was, last week was rough. This idea of, you know, what is, what is the way that we're having these conversations about people and, and how damaging or healing those conversations can be. This week, we're talking about the way we talk to God. And it's so crucial for us to start off in recognizing that the idea that we have of who God is will inform and shape the way you talk to God. The picture you have in your mind, the characteristics of who God is, all of that informs the way that you will talk to God. What we think about God changes the way we talk to God and how we interpret what we hear from God. Throughout the Old Testament, uh, it's story after story of God leading Israel, God leading his children and, and trying to help them understand who he is and how they should live and how they should interact with others. And they just over and over again forgot and, and they kept making mistakes and wrong turns and, and handling things the wrong way. And, and God would come back and, and rescue them again. He would heal them again. He would lead them again. And all throughout, over and over again, he was telling them who he was. There's actually a number of scriptures that identify different names of God. And these are written in, uh, in the Hebrew words, uh, the Hebrew names for God, but one of them is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord, our provider. And there was this moment where God is speaking to his children and, and he's identifying himself and said, let me tell you who I am. I'm a provider. You don't need to fear if you will have enough. I am God your provider. Another time he talked about Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. And there's this promise that comes in that conversation where he's trying to get them to see, it's not just that I'm God, it's that I'm a healer. It defines who I am. It's a characteristic of who I am. And based on your knowledge of that, you can actually come to me in different ways. Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Ra'ah, which means the Lord is our shepherd. He guides and cares for. Uh, Jehovah Shema, which means the Lord is here. All of these are names of who God is, but God was teaching his children, hey, I have identity. And the more clearly you understand that I'm with you, the more clearly you understand that I will provide for you, the more clearly you understand that I'll heal you when you're broken, the more clearly you understand those things, it changes the way that you actually rely on God, the way you interact with God. I always forget to say, on the last Sunday of the month, in the elementary room on the other side of this wall, they give out tons of prizes, and it's usually noise-based. So if you hear screaming, it's happy screaming, okay? Uh, and I'm okay with it. Um, but this idea that God is, is always reminding people who he is because he wants, to, he wants them to interact with him in a healthy an appropriate way, in a beautiful way. But there was still confusion and forgetfulness. People tend to blend kind of past experiences with current experiences. I don't know if you've had this situation. I was telling first service that when my wife and I started dating, um, I had a, a trail of really broken and unhealthy relationships. And I was a mess in every way, basically. And uh, whenever we would get into arguments or disagreements and I would do something and screw up, I would apologize. And she would forgive me and she would say, it's okay, I forgive you, we're okay. But I never actually believed it because I'd never been in a relationship where somebody actually let go of things. They held on to it as ammunition for a later time. And then these relationships would end up becoming minefields of, man, am I going to step in the wrong place? What's going to happen? That was all of my experience. And though, even though my wife is saying, I forgive you. 
I couldn't believe it because I was mixing and kind of intermingling my past experiences with the current truth. I hear what you're saying, but it's hard for me to get there. We do the same thing with God, and Israel did the same thing with God as well. They believed in the one true God, but they would also start to to pull in some other gods and idols of the time. They would start to pull in some other ways of worshiping, some other ways of thinking or attacking enemies or whatever it is, and they would start to intermingle these things, and the picture of who God was became distorted. Blaise Pascal has a quote. He says, God on the sixth day created his people in his image, and every day since, people have returned the favor. Essentially saying, we continue to create God in our image. We continue to imagine that God dislikes the same people that I dislike, (laughs) that God wants people to drive the same speed limit that I drive. You know, all these different things that God is upset about the things that I'm upset about, and that God is okay with the things that I'm okay with. We always are putting our own ideas and our own kind of pictures on who God is. And because of that, we still get these distorted pictures of the loving heavenly father that we have. There was this challenge of people understanding who is this God. And then ultimately what comes to pass, this shouldn't be a spoiler alert, is that Jesus comes. Jesus steps in to earth. Fully God and fully man steps in so people can see and hear and touch and interact with and sit at a table with God and understand how would God speak How would God care for others? How would God invite someone in? How would God uh, extend an invitation, extend grace towards other people? But oftentimes we still kind of get tripped up on this idea of who is Jesus and who is God. So many people, they kind of tend to have this understanding that, well, God is like the powerful, angry one, and Jesus is the loving, kind one. Uh, And we kind of uh, fall into this trap a little bit, this broken idea of who God is. But the writer of a book called Hebrews said it this way in the scripture. He said, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. He's saying God, God spoke to our people through prophets. They, they carried this message on and they tried to help people understand who God was. But now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, through Jesus, he created the universe. And then it says, this line is so important. It says, the son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. One other translation says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. There's this understanding that's so crucial for us to start to embrace is it's this picture that Jesus isn't like some version of God, Jesus is the most clear picture of who God is that we can hold on to, that we can look at, the most clear idea of who God is. Another scripture uh, in Colossians chapter one says, the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. For God was pleased to have most of his attributes, the loving and kind and, and graceful parts of his character. No, it says God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. So when we start to wrestle with this idea of who is God and, and is God angry at me and is God just waiting to catch me doing something wrong? Is he keeping track of my, my goods and my bads and all these different types of things? We continue to be able to come back and get a clear picture of who God is when we look at the life of Jesus. 
And if something doesn't match up with who Jesus is, then we have to set that aside and say, I don't think that's a clear understanding of who God is. I must be thinking about it wrong. I must be understanding something wrong. There must be something a little bit twisted in my humanity or in the way that someone explained it or the way the pastor talked about it or, or the way that somebody modeled it. Jesus is the perfect representation. The fullness of God lives in Jesus. This is who we get to turn to. But again, we struggle with that. It's a challenge. There's a lot of different ways that people start to kind of understand who God might be or how God interacts with us. And I've heard people talk about him in different terms. And I wanted to give you guys a list of five of the ones that I think are the most common. Uh, The first one of these kind of broken ideas of who God is, is the cop waiting around the corner. Uh, When I moved to California, I lived in the beautiful metropolitan city of Corona. Uh, And one day I was driving from that beautiful city to its sister city, Norco. Okay, Northern Corona, which is the greatest name ever. Uh, And there was this back road that I would take. And on this back road, at one spot, there was a sign. And every day, there was a motorcycle cop waiting behind that sign. I think every person that I grew up with in Corona got a ticket from that motorcycle cop. But so many of us, we have this kind of thought process, this understanding that God is kind of doing the same. Like God is, he's, you know, making sure everything continues, but he's always got an eye and he's waiting to catch us. He's waiting to get us in the wrong moment. We made the wrong choice. We we said the wrong thing. We acted the wrong way. And we have this broken idea that God just spends his time waiting to catch us messing up. That's not who God is. Another one is a a cosmic vending machine. Uh, This idea that if I put the right things in, I get the right things out. It's an exchange. When I put in a dollar, I should get out whatever it is, you know, the candy bar or the soda. And with God, we, we have this idea, well, if I put in enough hours at church or if I read my Bible during the week or if I pray or if I give maybe some money, or, then God owes me. I, I put something in and, he, and now he owes me. And when the vending machine doesn't work that way, we get very frustrated very angry, just like my seven-year-old when the, when the machine takes his quarters. He starts kicking it and yelling and, okay, maybe not yelling, but we get very upset about this thing. The third one is a talent show judge, this idea, and this happens a lot in the religious spaces, churches, and things like that, where we feel like, oh, I'm going to make sure I, I dress the best, I sing the best, I clap the loudest, I serve the most, and if I can show that I've earned this, then I'll get, the, I'll, I'll get the reward, then I'll get the prize, then I'll get the good things. Another one is an all-you-can-eat buffet. I grew up in North Carolina. Uh, there was three boys in my family, and um, I think I'm actually the shortest of the three brothers, and so there was a lot of food involved in our family's life, and we would go to a place called the Golden Corral, which I don't know if those, those exist out here. Um, don't, yeah, don't bother going. Let me just say that out loud. It wasn't nice, but it was affordable, and there was a lot of food available. Uh, and we would go up, and obviously as kids, it was, it was like Christmas every time we went. It's like, I can just have whatever I want from all of this buffet line. And a lot of times we approach God in the same way. We approach faith in the same way of like, yes, I'll take a lot of this. I'll take a lot of that. I'm not going to sign up for that. Uh, I'll take some more grace. I'll take some more forgiveness. No, I'm not going to forgive others, though. You know, there's these things we pick and choose. And then the last one is oftentimes we view God through the lens of our parents, just a supersized, all-powerful version of our parents, because our parents are the first authority figures that we knew. 
and every other authority figure and the way we interact with authority is deeply shaped by the way we interacted with our parents. And so a lot of times, all of these are broken, common ways. We start to kind of drift a little bit into these unhealthy, broken, twisted pictures of who God is. Yes, I know God is loving, and God forgives us, and I can experience full life, but also he's waiting around the corner to catch me doing something wrong. We, we start to twist these things together. So what does it look like for us to adjust the way that we see God. Because if we want to have a healthy relationship with God, if we want to be able to talk with God, what does it look like for us to make adjustments? The best way to do that is by reading the Gospels, by looking at the life of Jesus. How did he show up? Who did he love? How did he forgive? Who did he sit with? Who did he invite in? This is the best way for us to continue to adjust our perspective of who God is. And there's a scripture in Philippians chapter 2, And it says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And remember, Christ Jesus is the perfect representation of God, the radiance of God's glory. Have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This picture of this almighty, all-powerful, loving God, the fullest sense that we get of who God is, is in Jesus. And the most beautiful picture of Jesus is of him giving his life on the cross for us. As we start to wrestle with these kind of scary or twisted or ugly or broken ideas of who God is, that he's angry or upset or vengeful, he's just trying to catch me in the act or, or whatever it is, we have to come back and remind ourselves, no, this God loves me deeply to the point where he sets his deity aside and becomes fully man, fully God. He sets his life aside, his preferences, all of the rights that he had, he set it aside for me and for you, because that's who this God is. Uh, one pastor, he talks about it this way. He says, we serve a God who stoops, who stoops down low and doesn't mind picking us up out of the mud. A God that's not grossed out by our issues or a God that's not bothered that we fell again, but a God that continues to stoop down and pick us up and care for us. Not a God who's too royal or set apart or holy that he has to be distant, But the beauty of this God is in the way that he stoops and cares and holds us. And so one last scripture I want to look at that gives us some instructions of the way that we can talk to God. Now, I don't know, um, I I love watching movies and TV shows. Like, even if it's bad, I still enjoy it. It drives my wife insane. She's like, you know this show's terrible, right? I'm like, yeah, it's really bad, but I'm... I'm going to watch it. I'm uh, two episodes in, and there's 14 seasons. So let's finish this thing, am I right? Got a long weekend. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, I like all kinds of stuff. I watch all kinds of stuff. But I really, it's very nerdy, but I love like medieval fantasy type of things. Aragorn makes me think of Lord of the Rings. I'm all in on Lord of the Rings. 
But there's this idea in, in these stories where there are these beautiful, majestic castles, and, and there is a throne room, and there is a king that sits in the throne, throne room, and when people come in, there's guards, and they're putting their like swords in front, no closer, be respectful, take a knee, say things the right way in the right order. There's like this beautiful, majestic aspect of, of how we understand this. But look at this, what it says in Hebrews. It's talking about Jesus, and it calls him the high priest. He says, the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin, which that alone is fascinating. There is no other religion. There is no other belief system where they say that their deity, that their God understands what it's like. It's not just that God has compassion for us. He does, but he actually has empathy. He knows what it's like. He understands what it feels like says, yet he did not sin. And then this is the part. It says, so let us come, what's the word? Boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. This is how we're invited and commanded and encouraged to talk to God. We get to come boldly. We're not walking into a castle and having to go through all of the rites and the customs and make sure we put the right words in the right order. And, and no, come boldly to the throne of our heavenly father who loves you, who cherishes you, who wants to talk with you, who wants to have a relationship with you, a boldness. And in that space, we get mercy and we get grace to help us with whatever it is that we're facing. Maybe it's pain and anger and frustration, and you get to come boldly and say, God, I'm, I'm freaking pissed. I don't know if I can say that. I just did. <laughs> I guess it could have been worse. We get to come, and we get to say, I'm, this is not fair. It feels like you forgot me. It feels like they're getting all the good stuff, and I know they're terrible. Do you not know that they're terrible? We get to come in, and we get to say, what is it that I'm, I'm dealing with? We get to come in and say, why am, I, why am I dealing with all these health issues? Why is my family being attacked in this way? Why are my, my kids struggling with these things? This isn't right. And there's an invitation for us to say, we can come boldly into God's presence. And he has mercy and grace to help us when we need it the most. We can also just come in and talk with our Heavenly Father. I think a lot of times we, we kind of lose the, the piece of the puzzle about this relationship with God thing. I don't just talk to my wife when I need something. I don't just get the facts and the information. We actually just talk. Most of our conversations are about nothing really actually that memorable. It's just that we talk. We, have, we talk, we spend time together. I can tell by the tone of her voice whether I've done something wrong or whether she thinks what I said is funny or whether you know, there's something on her mind. And she can tell the same with me. There's conversation that happens as I know who she is. And, and we have the same invitation to come boldly into God's presence and talk with God, good, bad, difficult, ugly, whatever it might be. We get to come boldly. And there's a promise of help and grace and mercy in each of those moments. And so I want to invite you guys to close your eyes just because I want you to take a moment. I think sometimes for adults, it's difficult to use our imagination, at least in positive ways. We always imagine the worst case scenarios and, and kind of imagine what could go wrong and, and all these types of things. But I want us to, to use our imagination for a minute. 
as you close your eyes, I want you to think of who is this God in your life. For some of you, maybe one of those broken descriptions of God, the cop around the corner or the vending machine, maybe that's something that you realize that's, that's you, that describes the way that you view God. Maybe for some of you, you wrestle with this understanding that God is good and and you're okay with that being true for other people, but you may not feel like God is going to be good for you in your life. There's an invitation for us to start to shift and imagine what does it look like to believe in a God who invites us to come boldly into his presence, to have a relationship with a God who understands what it's like to be human and has been tested in all of the same ways that we have been tested, to have a relationship with a God who, who doesn't just want us to come when we need something, but actually just wants to, to talk and wants us to be in relationship. That prayer isn't about saying the right words in the right order, but it's just about a connection and a conversation with our Creator. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.